In this episode of the Constructing Differences podcast, I am interviewing A.H. Room. Room is a writer and activist who has won multiple awards for her feminist activism. She has an MA in Canadian literature from the University of British Columbia and has been published in the Vancouver Sun, The Globe and Mail, USA Today, and currently resides in Vancouver. Would you like to tell me about yourself and just anything you'd like to share? So, so, so since this is about my disability, I can tell you a bit about that. I had um, a head injury about four years ago um, that required that I learn, relearn a lot of things. So learning how to walk and talk at the same time, I struggled with walking and balance. Um, and uh, I was off work for six months. I struggle with computers. Um, I struggle with video. I have a visual disability, a visual processing disability from it. Um, and head injuries are this really weird disability because they can affect all sorts of things. I have um, intermittent aphasia where I stop being able to speak and process language. Um, I have issues with balance um, and other things. I have issues being around other people and in public. Um, and it's just like this really weird dynamic disability that's not very well understood even by the medical professions, but definitely not by the general public. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. I came across your work in um, the Disability Visibility book by Alice Wong. Um, yes. I think the essay was titled, uh, My Novel is Dedicated to My Disabled Friend Maddie. Yes. Uh, I was really intrigued by this piece because you talk about your friend Maddie and how you guys achieved um, a sort of interdependence. Um, you also write about independence and interdependence because those are things and experiences that you've had um, at different times in your life. What is the process of finding interdependence for you? And um, what were the struggles and what were the joys in that process? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we're always interdependent. I think the whole idea that we aren't is kind of a false narrative. I mean, people bring us into the world. We aren't able to support and feed ourselves. Even if we could, who makes those uh, those things. So the whole idea that we are singular humans um, surviving in this world uh, by ourselves is kind of an ideology of, of Western late capitalism um, that uh, is, is really problematic and kind of invisibilizes all the ties that we have between people. But I think um, disabled people specifically often can't um, you know, need, need extra support and interdependence. Um, and, and it is about recognizing that there are certain things that some of us are good at and can do and um, that others can't uh, and, and, and vice versa. So um, interdependence is, is a bit like, it's a bit like charity is to mutual aid. Um, charity is seen as a one directional flow um, it's seen as a, a flow of power, whereas interdependence is, and, and mutual aid is seen as, as um, uh, you know, a multi-directional flow, a circulation, and a way, and a different way of perceiving relationality and interconnectedness between humans. And I think inter interdependence is very much like that. It's a kind of figuring out, okay, well, how can we how can we support each other in different ways or maybe i can support you but you can support that other person over there what are what are ways we can work together to um to thrive better that, uh, within you know the complex 
um, dynamics of, of capitalism, which for disabled people often means that we lose or struggle. Yeah, and also with this idea of capitalism um, comes uh, the desire for productivity and success. And I know in your writing through um, the pieces that I read on, um, I think the website is Open Book. Uh, you write a lot about uh, writing before your disability and also afterwards and grappling with um, financial um, struggles um, continuously. Um, how have your ideas of productivity, success, and accomplishment um, changed with the disability? And um, how might this maybe parallel with other fields of work or kind of modes of working? Hmm. I mean, I think I'm still evolving. I think I'm still evolving on that. I think, um, I think in some ways my, my idea of what a good life or, or what I have to do to have a good life has changed. So in the past, I might, I might have been more ambitious in my, in my day job, where I, like in wanting to get ahead. Um, and now I'm, I'm much more, I just, I want to maintain, I want to maintain an equilibrium where in my day job, where I'm fully competent to do everything. And um, it's not, it's not actually challenging me because the challenge is, is um, has greater impacts on me than than it would in the past. So it's so interesting. I met someone once, and um, it was someone who was maybe three or four stages above me in my in my field. Um, and she looked at me, and I'm and and we were we were having a job talk, and she was like, you know, I was happiest when I was in your position because I didn't have responsibilities in the same way. I didn't have as much as a, of the stress. I was making a decent amount of money but I didn't have to do um, all of this other work. Uh, and it was like, it, it didn't, I, I wasn't overworking. And I, think, and I think that comment is so interesting. I think the way in which we exist in our society, we have this idea that the only way to do good or to succeed is to keep getting more and keep advancing and keep taking on more and more responsibilities. There are benefits to that for sure, material benefits, when it comes to like lived benefits and lived experience, um, I think uh, I think it's very, it's it's obvious. Like once you get a certain level of of um, stability and safety and and whatnot, there's a way in which advancing ends up bringing more complications in your life. And even if it brings more money, it might not necessarily be worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot about that now versus before I was disabled, which is like, how much do I really need from capitalism? And and then and then I think like in my in my personal working life, because <laughs> as a writer you have to have both a day job and a non-day job. Yeah. Um, I think I'm like I think I'm much more. I, I think I I have a lot of ambitions there still, um, but I have a lot of struggles in navigating how that works and what that looks like and how I can do it um, and that's constantly a bit of a frustration but it's something that I'm having to figure out and navigate and it's really interesting because we think that disability is always going to put it make us less um, you know there's ways that disability can in the social definition disabled us there's other ways that it enables us in different ways. So 
the one example which I'm kind of thinking through and, and writing about is that one of my disability adaptations was that I, I ended up listening to a lot of audiobooks because in the first couple of years, I had such terrible fatigue. Most of my time was spent lying and not being able to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So I listened to audiobooks so long, my brain can now listen to them extremely quickly. Um, so like last year I read 500 books, um, which wow. is like, yeah. So that's, so like when you think about crypt time and ambition, a lot of the type of writing I want to do is very heavily researched. Mm-hmm. I did in one year, maybe five years worth of reading. So there's, there's, there's like all of these different weird permutations to how disability actually works and, and, and crypt time kind of lives in the body and sits within it. So there is ways in which writing is more difficult um, for me, but I'm starting to recognize that there's ways in which the type of writing I want to do um, is actually, uh, you know, is, 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 is being enabled in different ways. I'm really interested in uh, the technologies that you've used and the ones that have been recommended to you. Then you speak about, you write about, I guess, the normative uh, modes of healing that have been recommended for um, healing um, and also for adapting to your disability. What are the specific tools or apps or items that um, have been recommended and what has worked and what hasn't? And what do you think needs to be implemented more? Um, so I so I use a bunch of different things. Um, so the first thing, as I was saying, I just got a voice um, to text app. So I got Dragon. I think that's useful. Um, the interesting thing is, is like just as a precaution, brain injuries are really different. Um, Like everyone's brain injury has its own fingerprint to a certain extent. There are some similarities like um, having having visual issues and and a visual disability is actually a very common one, but they often manifest differently. So I know a lot of people who have brain injuries and they can watch as much TV as they want. Mm -hmm. They don't struggle with screens at all, but they have other visual related problems. Um, And and, uh, so mine, um, so I'll tell you what I use, but it's not necessarily what everyone else would use. Um, so I use Dragon Voice to Text. I use the Flux app, which is an app that changes the color of your screen. Um, it takes out the blue light and you just I just have it on all the time. I use dark screen on my iPhone and I use high contrast mode that I've created myself on my laptop, which is a black background with gray or gray to brown text. Mm-hmm. Um, to read, my eyes are generally quite tired. So I use an app called Voice Dream, which reads books to me. I have access to um, SILA Library, which is the Canadian National Institute of the Blinds Library. Um, so I get books um, outside of copyright because of my visual disability. Mm-hmm. Part of brain injury recovery is to be very active. Physical activity is really helpful. Um, so I, when I hike, I use hiking poles all the time. The same thing when I snowshoe. Um, and I almost got a cane, but then the lockdown happened. So that's also something that generally is, is used. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my balance has gotten better. So I don't think I need it. I'm wondering what um, tools were not helpful to you that were recommended and maybe assumed to be helpful. 
Oh yeah, and and sorry, I've left some out. I use <laughs> I use a remarkable tablet too, which is yeah. a e-ink screen which you write on, so that's useful. I also use I also used to use and I don't use them anymore. Um, Thermospecs. Um, I use the sunglasses because they help outdoors, but they're like a special kind of glasses that take out certain kinds of light. I used to use them to use computers, but they don't help now that I have the dark screen. It's too dark. Um, things that have been recommended to me. People recommended an e-ink um, monitor, and that didn't help because it flickered too much and, mm -hmm. and reset too much. And then there was just all sorts of bad, um, you know, fade issues that were making my eyes bad. Um, the thing is, there's not a lot that's that's often recommended mm -hmm. for brain injuries. They just really don't know very much about them. Like I have, I have a bunch. Yeah. Are there needs that you can identify that are not met by um, produced designs or products that are available in the market? Yeah. So, for example. The iPhone, so like I said, I have a very specific um, high contrast mode enabled on my laptop. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was even possible for three years or that it was useful. So mm -hmm. it took, so no one said, hey, why don't you try high contrast? They just said, try flex. Um, no one said, try dark mode. I only tried dark mode when Apple switched over to dark mode, which was in, um, which is an update in September, 2019. And then I was like, wow, this is like changed my capacity to use screens. I'm in, I'm in less pain. Um, and that's when I started playing with dark mode on my own computer. So I, I kind of discovered that myself. I wish that there's a, like, I stopped using Facebook because Facebook doesn't have dark mode mm -hmm. on iPhone, whatever. I don't really care about Facebook, but <laughs> the reason why I use Twitter so much and I, I do use Twitter so much is because it was it was the first app that had dark mode. Um, it had dark mode before Apple. It, it had dark mode for a really long time. It was the only one I could actually use with less pain. Yeah, the iPhone itself, I wish you could customize the font in dark mode. I've tried to buy magazines, for example, um, that can be read via app and they don't have a voice reader. Yeah, it's, it was completely inaccessible content to me because um, it would require me to look at a screen and read the whole um, magazine, and I couldn't. There's also some websites that are set up so that you can't download the articles to a voice reader, um, which is really annoying. Uh, I could probably get a screen reader, um, but I don't like screen readers. I've tried them and they don't fit my needs as well. There's, there's a way in which, and from what I understand from people who understand the law around accessibility, mm -hmm. the law is not that I get access to it in my preferred manner. It is that it is provided, like access is provided in some way. So the fact that I could use a screen reader to read it means that it's not legal to deny me the capacity to download it to my um, screen, my, my voice app. Understood. Which is annoying. I'm wondering what does alliance and support or solidarity mean to you? And what are some strategies or specific action items you would recommend to those around you? And maybe those that are not disabled and may not um, share those experiences, but would like to support um, those who have those experiences. 
I think believing disabled people is the first step because I think so often disabled people are not believed. I think um, being someone who is willing to listen to, to disabled people and like, um, it's interesting, I've improved, but there's a time when everything is so terrible, you end up talking a lot about it. Um, and a lot of people that's their experience with disability there's a way in which um, people who are non-disabled will be like, well, everything's about disability for you, or people are always reacting to you in like about disability and affirming that like it is, it absolutely often is that way for disabled people and being someone who believes that and trusts that it's useful. I really like people who ask me what my access needs are. Mm -hmm. um, there's a concept called access intimacy that Mia Mingus speaks yeah. about. And so like people being, people asking me what my access intimacies are and, um, and listening to them, I often have to tell people because um, I sometimes lose the capacity to speak. So if I'm spending a lot of time with someone, I've recognized I need to let them know because there could be a point where I need a break and I need them to stop talking to me as much as I need to stop talking myself because becomes very painful to process people talking to me. Um, uh, I know that sounds weird. Uh, it's hard to explain what it means to be painful. It's like really intense, like where your brain is just not able to process it. And it's, it's just physically painful in your brain. Um, as much as that doesn't, it's hard to communicate to someone because I'd never experienced it before. Um, but yeah, so all of those things are really important on an interpersonal level. And then working on more political levels of like, what does accessibility look like in the areas that you're a part of, whether it's a community organization, whether it's a, um, a workplace, whether it's, you know, society at large, there's all sorts of ways you can support disabled people um, in those arenas. It's great. As a concluding question, I'm wondering, what are you hopeful of in the future and what are you going to continue to write for and work for? So I think my hope in, in, in my own work, I'm working on a auto theory memoir about invisible disability, which will look at, you know, I could write a memoir and be like, all of these people are bad. Look what they did to me. And that would be a normative memoir. It would conventionally do some things. People would feel bad about me. Maybe they'd feel bad about ableism, but they'd, they'd put it elsewhere and they wouldn't actually see the main causes. So I'm writing an auto theory memoir that says, this happened to me. These people were embodiments of these refracted discourses of ableism that ended up finding me as a target. And like, like the people although we kind of were shitty but the problem is these discourses and they're deeper and they're foundational to our society and how we work and on all of our institutions and interpersonally and what we expect from each other and how we believe each other or don't believe each other and so like I am interested in spending my time and my energy combating those in a way that kind of personalizes it so it's a bit more accessible people than, than theory. So I guess what I'm hopeful is people who are 
writing new discourses around ableism, but attacking it from some kind of foundational perspective to try to, to undo that ideology, but make it a bit more accessible than a lot of theory is for people who might be experiencing ableism or people who might be committing ableism or institutions that might be reproducing it. That sounds incredibly exciting. I really like the idea and I've experienced, I guess, fighting some kind of problem from various angles as a, I guess, a really successful strategy. But um, thank you so much for sharing and talking with yeah. me about your disability and all your work. And I'm really excited to uh, read your memoir when it's finished. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it sounds really incredible and really exciting. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Constructing Differences podcast. To find out more about this project, visit representationsofdifference.com or at representationsofdifference on Instagram. Special thanks to Jan Deirdrich for helping me through the IRB approval process, Dr. Olwan for provoking my thoughts on solidarity, and Professor Lori Brown for being my mentor on this project and so many others. Finally, thank you to all the participants who agreed to speak with me on Zoom throughout the month of April. Your time, words, and thoughts were greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm.